0: Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 3, and we'll look there in just a moment. James chapter 3. My um, daughter asked me if this was uh, a Bible class hour, that's what this was for, and I said, yes. She said, is it a Bible class? Yes. She said, is it a Bible class like the first Bible class you did this morning? Touche. Yes, probably a little bit like that. But... um, in that vein, let me go ahead and start by just asking, um, does anybody have questions? I can't field every question, but does anybody have any questions about that first hour that you, uh, as far as the covering and talking about the covering that you'd like addressed? All right. I gave you all the time you needed. We will probably be getting together this afternoon. I'm perfectly willing to discuss those things um, at whatever length we can that's profitable. Um This hour, we're going to be talking about what makes for a good Bible class, how to conduct a good Bible class. And I don't know that I'm, I'm, I certainly know that I'm not the most qualified to do that. I know I've seen good Bible classes. I've been in them. And I know I've been in some that are not. And I think I can see some things that are the differences between what makes for a good one and what makes for a bad one. Maybe not all the things, but at least some of the things that can hinder and help us get something out of Bible classes. I want to start here in James chapter 3 and verse 1. It says there, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Let's start here. What is it that a teacher is supposed to do, and I mean that in the simplest possible terms, not just Bible class teacher, just a teacher. What should they be doing? What do you think, Mark? The truth. All right, that's the truth. Right? Let's back up from that and get even more elementary than that. Somebody's a teacher, what defines him? They're teaching. They're teaching right? This is a, right off the bat, one of the things that I hear sometimes, a Bible class get up, a teacher get up and say, I'm not here to really be a teacher. I'm just like a facilitator of a conversation. Okay. Then maybe you should be at the head of the dinner table, not the Bible class. If you're a teacher... You've taken on a role of leadership. That's what James says here. You're the one speaking. You're the one in charge, really, of that situation. You're going to be judged for how you communicate during that period. And so he says a warning, let not many of you become teachers. Now, brethren, I know we struggle to find enough people to teach. And so sometimes we just want to pretend like that verse is not there. And somebody says, I just don't feel qualified. Do you know there's some people that have said that to me? I just don't feel qualified. And I think, well, you're probably right. I mean, I think they could get qualified. I don't mean that. I don't, I don't mean that they're not capable of being qualified. But at the moment, I think they're right. And I think sometimes we just tell people like, anybody, just, you know, just get up there and we'll help you out. No, no, no. If you're not ready to teach, then brethren, don't teach. And if you're going to get up and surrender the class over to somebody else, then let that guy teach. Don't you do it. And so the first thing is, it's your, it's your class. It's your opportunity to say what you want to say. Now, having said that, I don't mean that in some uh, imperial way that, that you're, you're a king or something of that sort. I mean, you're in charge from the standpoint of you're responsible for what's about to happen here. I mean in the same way that a A man is the head of his household. He's not some dictatorial ruler, but he's morally responsible for what goes on in that household. And you'll be morally responsible for when you get up and teach. And somebody says, man, you're going to scare some people off. Wow, I wish we could. I wish we could scare some people off who think that they can get up there and be silly. And they can get up there and just say whatever they want to say and not put the time and effort that ought to be put into proclaiming God's Word. Because it takes time and effort. And that's my second point. It's it's your job to teach the class. So the second point, let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we are told that the people are being given the law and the law is being explained as it's read. Verse 7, we have this list of people, uh, the Levites, who explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. It says they read from the book of the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. This is the second element of teaching. You are trying to convey information that is here to out there. That's your job. And you better not be thinking about it the first time when you get up in front of people because it'll be a disaster. And I have seen that. I've seen people get up and they don't know what they're talking about. They haven't prepared. They haven't thought about what they're going to say. I've even seen people get up and said, well, I, I really I was thinking about it on the way over here. Then sit down till you've thought about it some more. And they just they're just speaking off the cuff. One thing I think we need to do is, is understand, appreciate that what we've got to do is have a good understanding ourselves so that we can give that over to somebody else. And if you don't, if you say something like, I know what this means, but I can't explain it. Can I suggest to you, you don't know what it means yet. If you can't explain it, then you don't really have a good grasp on it yourself. This is, I, I run into this a lot with my daughters when we're talking about math. So we'll go through a problem and i say, all right, do you understand how to do this? Yes, I do. All right, explain it to me. Well, I can't explain it. Then you don't know how to do this yet. So we're going to go through it again. And until we get to a point where they can verbalize that, they can teach me what they're doing, then I know they don't, they don't really get it yet. And so we've got to get to the point where we can really explain something like these Levites. That's what they're doing. They're teaching. And they're not just getting up and reading the Bible. Right. Everybody's got one of those. They can do that at home. But we're not just getting up and reading the text. We're getting up and saying something about the text, which means we got to understand the text and we got to understand how that text relates to another text. And we got to put all those pieces together in our minds to be be able to get up and communicate that. We went through uh, when I was in Montgomery, we went through the the whole Bible and it scared people to death. They would say, what are we studying? Well, we're going to be studying the divided kingdom. Well, what's the material we're using? The text. Well, I mean, we got to have a workbook, don't we? I said, that is our workbook. That's what we're going to use. Well, I mean, I need something to kind of explain it to me. I said, well, that, there it is, you know. And we didn't have a lot of people who wanted to teach. Because when you teach like that, when you just teach in the text, that means you've got to read the text and you've got to read it a lot. And you got to read it up. you got to read it so much where you can get up and you're not sitting there going through there going, huh, why is the first time that thought occurred to me? No, you don't. You need to be getting up where you already know the story. You're not reading it for the first time. You're not getting it for the first time. You know the story. And so you can pick out the parts that help you move that story along and highlight that story. That's another thing when you're teaching by way of overview. Let's say you're teaching right now at Pepper Road. We're going through the book of Genesis. And uh, the other night we reviewed 41 chapters, the first 41 chapters of Genesis. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I can't read 41 chapters in an hour. And so I already got to know it. I got to know it well enough to say, here's where we start. And then here's where we move to. And here's the next chapter. And I need to know what's in every one of those 41 chapters. I don't mean I need to know that 24-7, 365 days a year. But for that hour, I better know it. And I know sometimes we we know things at one time and then we lose them. I get that. But when you get up for that hour, you got to have that information. It needs to be yours. You're the one that's communicating the ideas. And so if you don't know it, then you're not prepared to teach and we're going to be held to account for getting up and saying we've got something to say when we really don't. And so we need to have something to say. Let me go over then to first Timothy. First Timothy, chapter six. And this goes a little bit along with some of the things that we talked about in the first hour. It says um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 4, he is conceited. Well, let's just back up and, and, and catch the whole description here. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of the Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words which arise uh, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. I think one of the things that we need to appreciate is our job as teachers is to get up and talk about what's in here and not talk about what's not in here. And what he's talking about here is a guy who wants to talk every, about everything but what's in here. He's got a morbid interest, it says, in controversial questions. And I think that's a beautiful description, because I can just put some faces to it. They're not happy unless we're arguing about something. I, I know one guy. He called a brother. He was going to be in the area. He said, I'm going to be doing some work in your area. I was wondering if you'd be interested in a debate. And the guy said, well, I mean, about what? And he said, I don't know. I'm sure we can find something. Nah, I'm not interested, the fellow said. I- I've got other things to do. People have a morbid interest in finding things we disagree on and see see how much time we can spend on those sorts of things. I think we do need to discuss things we disagree on. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that we avoid controversy. I hope you recognize that about me. But I think there are some people that that's all they want to do. And it seems to me what Paul is telling Timothy is, you don't allow for that. So here you are. You're teaching the class. And you got a brother that wants to bring something up every time. You're going to have to say something like, we can talk about that later. I'll just tell you right at the beginning of the class, I, I gave you an opportunity. There might have been some questions that you might have had that I would have to say, we're not going to sit here and argue for 45 minutes over this. We, we can talk about that later. This is a Bible class. And we're going to focus on trying to actually get at what God says to us. Another element there is the uh, disputes about words. Oh, man, we've got just so many commentaries, so many words written about what God says. I think that they are valuable. Don't get me wrong. But I do believe the first commentary ever written was what Satan said to Eve about what God had said to her. And And essentially he said this, God doesn't mean what he said. There's a lot of people that get up and spend their time trying to figure out why God doesn't mean what He said. And we need to be careful about that. That we don't try to twist people around so badly that they they can't read the the plain words on the page and understand it anymore. I think sometimes people get wrapped up in original language studies which I appreciate and respect and think are valuable. They're invaluable. If we didn't have them, we wouldn't have the Bible in English right now. So don't, don't get me wrong about that. But we'll spend 30 minutes talking about the origins of word just so we can come right back around and say the translators have it right. Just lead with that, right? <laughs> just start there and move on. Because first of all, nobody else in the room is a Greek scholar. And usually the guy teaching is not either. He just thinks he is. And so we've got to be very careful that we don't end up arguing about words that amount to us really agreeing but arguing all the same. And I think that's this sort of person who just loves to get into those kind of situations. If you're the teacher, you're trying to avoid that. And if you see that happening, you're the first line of defense. Now, there may be wise men in the audience that can help you, but you're the teacher. And so you need to say, that's not what this is about. That's not what this is for. And if you are in the audience, support that man who's doing that, who is trying to shut those things down so that the class doesn't go down that path. Go back over to the first chapter of 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here's where I think we just get a lot of wisdom as far as teaching and, and how men approach the Scriptures, what their motivations are. It says there, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Then he says, Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident Assertions that goes about back to knowing what you're talking about. Here are people who don't. They want to teach. They don't even know the law, but they want to get up and be teachers of the law. And it sounds like Paul wants Timothy to call them out and and let them know you don't know what you're talking about. So what Jesus does very often, you do err not knowing the scriptures. But what I really want to focus on here is back in verse four, paying attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. Brethren, Bible classes across the country and across the world are are ripped away from focus on God and rampant with speculation. People want to talk about the the most ridiculous things. Amy and I sat in a Bible class one time where the speculation for 20 minutes was on what the stones looked like that the Israelites took out of the Jordan to stack up by way of reminder. Well, they were in the river and so they must have gotten smooth over time. I thought, what are we doing? And I stared around and people got fairly heated about their particular preference over that. And I thought, Are, this is insanity. And not once did we talk about the need to remember the mighty works of God, which is the whole point. But we're going to spend all our day talking about the shape of the rocks. I think there's more profit talking about when Revelation was written. But brethren, at the end of the day, we're never going to come to a point where everybody's on the same page about that. Make your case, but don't lose sight of the point that everybody agrees on, which is no matter what's happening, no matter what you think it looks like, God wins. Make sure you get that across. And notice what Paul says there. He says, we got a purpose. Our purpose, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. When you get up to teach, have you got a purpose in mind? Have you ever been in Bible class where you get the idea that the the purpose is to take up 40 minutes and just expand the time? Usually those classes start out with a little bit of joke. We're going to we're going to talk about, um, you know, an experience that happened recently that has maybe no connection or a very tenuous connection to the subject at hand. We're just going to see how much material we can spend at the beginning. A lot of times it's because the person hasn't prepared. They don't have enough material. they got five minutes of material and 45 minutes of time. And so they just start taking it up. I like to ask those guys sometimes, what did you want us to take away today? And a lot of times they themselves don't even know the answer to the question. Paul says, we got a point to our teaching. we got somewhere we want to go. we got a point that we're trying to make, and we want to make sure that we get that point across. And if people walk away not knowing what your point is, And you're an ineffective teacher. That's your job. is to to say something and have people understand what it is that you're saying. And particularly when it comes to God's word, it is to get people to these elements. This love, this good conscience, this sincere faith. And that goes back to what Mark answered earlier, which wasn't a wrong answer. What we want teachers to do is teach truth. And there are some things that we're just going to have to say, I don't know. I don't know what God says about that. I, I, I appreciate Bob Waldron a great deal. He's one of my favorite teachers. He's been one of my uh, mentors and has taught me a great deal. And one of the things that he's taught me is how to deal with a Bible class. I've watched him. And when people introduce the speculation and people go down those paths and the ways that he brings them back to the text, Tom Holly uses a phrase, coming back to the text. I love how he says that, coming back to the text. That's what he wants us all to do. And Brother Waldron's a little bit more pointed and uh, occasionally we might be in a Bible class. We were in a Bible class one time and it was a group of young preachers mostly and this other fellow had come and. I don't know where all he had come from, but we were talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we were talking about the spiritual mind and the carnal mind, and the spiritual mind can understand what God's saying, and the carnal mind, there's blockage there, and he can't understand what God is saying. And so Brother Waldron was doing a a, a wonderful job of of explaining that that difference there. This guy raised his hand, and he said, I understand that that spiritual mind, and Brother Brother, uh, Waldron had used some Greek language there, and so he... He brought up this word Kos," And he says, some people talk about if we get tap into that spiritual mind, maybe we could read the thoughts of other people. And I've heard that that's even a possibility. Now, let me just tell you, in the audience, it was entertaining. I wouldn't want to have been teaching the class, but it was fun watching Brother Waldron kind of respond to that. And So, so he's going down that, that pig trail there. And I'm just watching Brother Waldron. And he's just keeping his composure. And he's... And the guy gets done and he just kind of looks over at us and he looks back at the guy. And I thought he's about to tell him he's a nut job and get out of here. It's not what he did. He just said, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about that at all. And so I don't think I will either. And he just went right back to teaching 1 Corinthians chapter two. And I thought, brilliant. There it is. I'm going to speak where the Bible speaks and I'm going to be silent where it's silent. Another guy, we were studying 1 Corinthians chapter 5 a few weeks later. And we read through that and we talked about fellowship. And Brother Waldron made several observations and connections to Old Testament passages. He does so well. And and he he, uh, looked up and this fellow said, Well, look, I've always heard, which is always the start of a terrible comment that's about to be made. I've always heard, that you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And Brother Waldron said, I've heard that too. I'm just going to read what Paul says again. And he just read back through 1 Corinthians 5. He said, I I think I'll just take Paul's word. And then he just moved on. Now, he, he wasn't insulting to people and he didn't berate them and he didn't say, well, that's the dumbest comment I've ever heard in my life. That's what I was thinking. I had several things I wanted to say but he just brought it back to the text. And he didn't allow people to just take them wherever they wanted to go. He said, what we're doing is we're studying God's Word. And you may have things that you've heard before. And you may have experiences that differ with God's Word. We're going to trust God's Word. That's what we're going to do. And so we're going to come right back to that. And so a teacher needs to be coming back to the text. They need to be bringing the attention back to God's Word. And if people want to stray away from that, then it's our responsibility to bring them back to that. Now, as to how we avoid speculation, you need to ask good questions. Jesus asked good questions. Some of those good questions involve getting to the heart of the matter, right? Examine yourself. Sometimes they're very rhetorical questions. The answer is obvious, but it's an answer that's still convicting, even though the answer is obvious. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he kept pressing him on it. And it was a convicting question, because it's a question right after Peter's just showed that he would betray Jesus. And so he, he asked those probing questions. He asked those questions sometimes in a very challenging way. You've got men who come to Jesus by what authority? And Jesus says, well, i got a question for you. The baptism of John. What authority did he have? And they're rather afraid because they don't know which is the politically most correct answer to give. And what he ends up doing is shutting them down. You don't want to be honest. That's another thing that I hear said sometimes. There are no stupid questions. Well, I think there are some questions that aren't very helpful. And Jesus exposes those. And when people start bringing up questions, He says, let's see if this is honest. Let's see if you really do want to understand truth or if what you're doing is just trying to take control of the class, trying to make the teacher look like a fool, trying to twist the Scriptures. And so we ask questions like that to get at people's hearts, to get at what they're trying to get at. And then we don't allow people to just take control and maneuver the class wherever they want it to go. I think that another element is that we want to, we want to try to figure out ways to put the truth into terms that people understand how it applies to daily living. People say sometimes that, that there are preachers who tell too many stories. And I often agree with that. But in one sense, I don't think we have preachers who tell too many stories. I think we have preachers who don't tell good stories. What I mean by that is they don't tell stories that illustrate the truth. Maybe they're telling stories to entertain. Maybe they're telling stories to take up the time. Maybe they're telling stories actually to come up with a conflicting story to God's word I've heard that people tell stories about somebody going to be baptized and getting struck by lightning or, or hit by a limb from a tree that's a story it's not a story to try to help show the truth of God's word it's, it's a story to try to twist it and put it in a bind like the Sadducees when they came to Jesus with their story of the woman who, who'd married seven brothers and whose wife you know what they're trying to do they're trying to make the resurrection look silly that's what they want to do what does Jesus do well, he brings it to the scriptures. But the other thing that Jesus does so very often is he tells stories. But he tells stories that highlight, that lift God's word up, that lift the truth up and put it on daily terms. Put it on terms with somebody who's got sheep in the field. Do you know how you feel about your sheep? That's how God feels about this sinner over here. Do you know how you feel about your money? And what you would do and how you would go clean your house to find that little bit of money that you've lost, that's how God feels about this sinner over here. Do you know how you feel about your family? And if one of them ran off and then came back after a while, that's how God feels about this sinner over here. And so He He connects with people's emotional uh, aspects of their lives and, and brings that into alignment with the truth and says, here's how that works. In, in this spiritual realm, the kingdom of God is like. How many times did Jesus say that in order to give us a sense of what it is that we got going on here? And so we need to think through that and we need to figure out how does this apply? There's a young man that's working with us at Pepper Road right now. And one of the questions I'm always asking him is, what do you want people to do tomorrow because of what they heard you say today? How is this supposed to change them in any way? And if you can't think of a single impact that this is supposed to have on anybody's life, then you need to come back to what Paul says here. We got a purpose, right? I want to say something that's going to hit home. I want to say something that's going to change people's behavior. I want somebody, after they listen to the lesson this morning, to go evaluate the wardrobe, right? I mean, I want action. And so I want to say things in a way that's going to provoke that kind of action. I'll say one more thing then and then the lesson will be yours. We have got to have a compassion and a love and a desire for people to love God when we're teaching. I am struck by Matthew chapter 23, over and over. It is a passage where Jesus has the most blistering language that he might use in all of his ministry. You talk about lighting people up over and over. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them serpents. He calls them all sorts of offensive things And he exposes one behavior and attitude after another, just all through the chapter. And then at the end of it all, what does he say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often, how often I would have gathered you under my wings like a chick gathers her hens, or a hen gathers her chicks, rather. But you would not. And what we see throughout Jesus' ministry is even people who hate him who are being um, dishonest in their questions to him, who don't want to hear what he has to say, he's out there with honesty trying to reach them, truly. And his goal is not to just get up and get them told. I, I believe Jesus with all his heart wanted those Pharisees to repent. That's what he says, and I believe him. And sometimes we're satisfied with just saying we got people told. It's not what I want. I want to to persuade. I want to convince. I want to to bring you over or you bring me over. I I, I want something to shift. I'm not perfect like Jesus. And so I recognize maybe, maybe you can bring me towards you. I get that. But something needs to shift. I'll tell you one of the things that's frustrating to me as a teacher is when you teach something that you know most people don't agree with you on. Most of the audience doesn't agree with with you for one reason or another. You're in that type of situation. You know people don't agree with you and they come up and instead of saying, I want to talk to you about that, they say, good job. That's like the worst response possible. I'd rather you be spitting mad at me because at least then you heard me. I, I want a persuasion going on here. And Jesus actually wants so. One of the things I do is I try to imagine, especially when I'm going to be teaching something I think people might disagree with, if I was sitting in the audience on the other side of this, what would convince me? I can't, I, maybe I can't fully do that. But I think we need to try to put ourselves in the shoes of the other position here. You talk about somebody who put himself in the shoes of his opposition Jesus did. Literally. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16 points out. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And so He sympathizes with us. He thinks about what we need. He becomes our advocate. And so that's what I want to do. I want to say, all right, what would help me change my mind on this? And I want to speak in a way that would be conducive to that. And somebody has accused me before and they've accused others before. of uh, You you go so far around to try to come around to that conclusion and you should just hit it head on. And I go back to Nathan approaching David and what does he do? He goes around a little bit and he tells a story and he gets David to see some reality before he brings it home and says, David, I'm talking about you. You're the man. Why does Nathan do that? Why didn't he just come in and say, David, you're going to hell. No, he comes at it in the way that he, I suppose, thinks can actually reach David. That's the way I want to approach people. I want to approach them in the way that I think I can actually reach them. That doesn't mean I'll always reach them. But I'm going to give it every try I got. Right? Because that's, that's the goal. What's the goal? Not, not just for me at the end of the day to be able to say, I got them told. That's not Nathan's goal. It's not Jesus' goal. It's not my goal. And so those are some of the thoughts, just a few of the thoughts that I think we need to keep in mind that I think will separate some of the good Bible classes that we can be in uh, versus some of the bi- bad Bible classes we could be in. That was pretty similar to that first Bible class. I do think that when we are in a good Bible class, one of the things is the teacher will do most of the talking. I don't think everybody agrees with me on that. I think some people think you should come in and get that audience involved. Well, you're the one that's got something prepared to say. I do realize some classes lend themselves to more audience participation than others, but but it's the class that you're teaching. and So get up and teach. Have something to say. Know what it is you want people to understand and say it in a way that is most likely to bring about that conclusion. I appreciate your good time. We're looking forward to the week together and uh, looking forward to more study from God's Word together. And uh, prayer to conclude with. Uh, Kevin, would you mind leading us in that word of prayer?